Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have a wonderful show for you this evening. Artist David Yule is here. Before we get started, just a couple quick notes of things going on in the aviation world. Uh, first of all, I want to encourage everybody. Uh, we've been getting a lot of information, of course, of the challenges out there in the world with rising gas prices and what that means for recreational aviation. And I think it's more important than ever, of course, to be able to see what's happening locally, to see all the cool places to fly and get out there, to maintain your skills and maintain that wonder of flying and experiencing general aviation at least as much as you can, given uh, some of the economic challenges. And so I would encourage everyone not just to look at our weekly email that comes out and tells you what's happening around you, but open up the app or open up socialflight.com. It is completely free and you will find so many things happening local, close to you, more than just the online events that are out there on the map. You can see just about everything. And there's also, even if you're interested in just the online events, there's so many things going on that you can uh, see that we couldn't possibly fit into one email. There's someone who emailed me about uh, looking for mechanical events, someone else about safety related. And uh, once I showed them where to look, they were like off to the races. So be sure to check that out, socialflight.com and the free Social Flight mobile apps for Apple and Android devices. And with that, the Fly to Win Challenge that's going on right now allows you to fly and check in at any airport. Do it just even just once during the prize period. And we are currently giving away an Aspen E5 electronic flight instrument. That is almost $6,000 value. That's being given away on July 1st. So be sure to get out there and check that out. Now, I'd like to talk to you a little bit when it comes to this uh, artist, David Yule. He is truly amazing. Um, I'll tell you a story. I've been making an annual pilgrimage to Oshkosh, like so many other people, for nearly 30 years. And in all that time, I have always looked forward to getting there and seeing what's new in aviation. But last year, as I was roaming through the hangars and the aisles there, I saw a display that literally stopped me in my tracks. It was the collection of David Yule's artwork, and I probably spent half an hour standing there in silence, simply taking in each of his unique paintings one at a time. I was just mesmerized by it, and, and it truly is breathtaking. David Yule's work blends the worlds of, of motorcycle passions and aviation and Western work um, all together, but always while telling a story along the way. He is the first ever licensed oil painter for Harley Davidson and has created scores of masterpieces re uh, totally uh, reveling in Harley Davidson's rich history. His timeless style captures the deep emotions 
and the inevitably the uh, the inevitable feelings that you get when you're talking about things like motorcycles and airplanes and things like that it it just it just brings out something mechanical within all of us and that type of a passion. And his works now are so sought after that each one just quickly sells out and becomes a collector's item, simply increasing in value. So I'm gonna bring David on the line now. I am thrilled to have him with us tonight. And please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, David Ewell. Hi there. Hi, David, how are you doing tonight? I'm really good. Long day of uh, working at the easel here. I can so, see, like this. This is your studio. This is where it all happens. Very right here. I mean, a minute ago, I mean, I probably had paint all over me. Uh, <laughs> I kind of clean up a little bit, so. I don't well, I'd say, I'd say thank you for cleaning up, but I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's even better to see you in your element. Yeah, uh, it's it's where I spend all my time. It, it's I get a chance to to focus and listen to a lot of things that I like, whether it's music or books on tape or podcasts or whatever. It's it's a pretty cool way to to just, you know, get in my groove. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we're going to show some of your works to everybody so that they can see this, all this and, and learn some of the stories behind it. But I want folks to understand a little bit about your story and where you came from because I find it, it fascinating. So tell me a little bit about how how you got involved in this and then kind of became the name that you are boy it's kind of a long story <laughs> um my grandfather was an artist and engineer um and invented a company called yule art steel and if you were to go look up his stuff you'd probably find it equally as as, as mine out there because his products are uh timeless and he could draw incredibly well he had a son named philip and then i'm son of philip who actually was an engineer as well and an inventor um and then my dad had seven kids and most all of them are artists um yeah pretty much everyone's working in the art field uh so it's a little crazy that's so cool (laughs) that really shows a little bit of that nature versus nurture side of things but my dad turned into a fisherman after he got kind of fed up with unions and trying to be plant engineer for my grandfather's company. And uh, he, he turned into a charter boat captain. I grew up on the Great Lakes and I've always been fascinated by water. So my high school years were actually intended to be a marine biologist. And uh, I went to a Jesuit high school and took no art, but just like Project Harvard physics and biology. All the things you take in order to be a doctor or a lawyer or something it's a it's a college prep type of environment but i didn't quite fit into that too well and uh so anyway ter- taking notes all day and all night i ended up using that ballpoint pen to to get creative and uh my own calligraphic work as well as doodling. I mean, I kind of took doodling to a crazy degree. And um, senior year, I applied for, a, there was a scholarship offer uh, to one senior uh, throughout the entire country. You would win this full ride scholarship to art school. And you had your choice. You could go to like six of them. There was in, there was Denver, obviously, where I ended up. But Pittsburgh, San Diego, Orlando. Anyway, I ended up winning the thing. 
uh, senior year, to my surprise, and then so packed up all my stuff, moved to Denver. And then that's when I pretty much started being, uh, you know, a professional student. And then after I just, I decided that they weren't really doing the things I wanted to do. I ended up quitting that scholarship and then I moved to California and did some of those drawings that, that I showed you, the, the Disney kind of sci-fi work that I really fell in love with. This was like in the eighties. So Star Wars was out and, and uh, all the wonderful films that just inspired me to create these universes and, and, and aliens and spaceships and stuff. So I thought I was going to be a, um, uh, artists that worked on, you know, like Lucasfilm films and then do alien creation. So anyway, that's how I ended up, you know, my trajectory out of high school into the art world is through a scholarship. Wow. Do you remember the, the piece of art that you used to win that scholarship? <laughs> they needed three pieces. Yeah. I wish I had them all. Uh, one had to be a portrait, which was a little scary to me, but I started to play with portraits in high school. I uh, went to a Jesuit high school and had to wear a tie. There was no girls, so I started drawing a lot of girls. And <laughs> go figure. And, uh, so I had some good success with that, and so I ended up doing a portrait and then a pen and ink drawing, which was back then I was really into the nature of reality and studying quantum physics and stuff. So I ended up doing a, a piece that had a real philosophical background about yin and yang and with a nuclear cloud coming out of an egg-shaped head. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. But um, I did that. And then I did a, uh, I was really interested in sound. So uh, I built these giant speakers and uh, there were studio monitors at the time. And uh, was, I was, I fell in love with that stuff. So I did a drawing of those speakers, like a plan drawing. and and then a rendering of it so I could actually move into product rendering uh, in huh. school. So they, it was a kind of a commercial art program, so they wanted you to do product rendering, so I ended up doing my speakers and uh, enjoyed that a lot. But those three things won me the scholarship. And uh, wow. so got out of, saved enough money <laughs> working at a chemical factory for about two months, uh, filling like toilet bowl cleanser and like five bucks an hour and but they ain't doing this no more so i jumped on a, had enough money to get an amtrak to denver um we didn't have a lot of money you know my dad was a fisherman so but that's the only way out of luna pier michigan that i had and uh it worked so uh, off to union station in denver i came in 1980. wow and and what was the transition into kind of making this your profession as it, when it came to, to art from kind of getting out of that filling toilet bowl cleanser stuff. Yeah. Well, the ballpoint pen thing actually turned into be a blessing, you know, that I've learned in high school because, you know, you're sitting there taking notes. And uh, I, like I said, I did a lot of sketching and stuff for like Disney and doing freelance work for movie production. And, um, there's one of those. I want to show one of them. Uh, this, I believe, was from your, your Disney days. Yeah, that's exactly it. You can see it's a ballpoint. And then I did it on gray paper, and then I would go back in with a white pencil and pull out the highlights. And you can see where you see the, it gets lighter than the paper. Yeah. 
colored pencil aspect of that. So that technique um, really, you know, kept me alive for many, many years, although all through the 80s. Once I took that same idea, that style, um, and then applied it to commercial art, uh, I did, back in the day, there was what was called American Showcase in the 80s. And it was a, it was a directory for illustrators, right? And all the art directors and all the ad agencies around the country would look to this directory to hire an illustrator to represent hmm. their client. And so I did one ad with that ballpoint technique. And I didn't show you this, but this is it. So you can see that. So oh, I wow. just did this in my bedroom. I was living in a hotel at the time. <laughs> I did this ski boot. And this was actually one of the first jobs I did. But you can see that ballpoint pen technique. And then I did this ad. And this ad got over 1,000 calls. So immediately, I was doing product illustration. Uh, so many things, everything and anything you can imagine for about eight to 10 years, more than that, actually. And uh, it was quite successful because I was the only wow. one doing that style. It was like this hybrid colored pencil ballpoint pen thing on gray paper. And, yeah, um, it, it looks like almost like a rendering of a black and white photograph or something. The, the, the rea the re how realistic it is is amazing. Yeah, well, it's if you were to see it in person, you'd see there's a lot of little line work. And what my, my kind of my one of my special attributes in doing those type of drawings was to you know you can't erase ballpoint, so I would leave all the perspective lines in and show a ladder and how I which I got to that point. So all those lines were really light. So if you look at it close, you can see how I actually got there, and and you don't erase anything. You just put it all in, and people somehow responded. They kind of like to see how things were made rather than just a finished ski boot. And it yeah. was cool. And then I'd add other geometric structures around and make it. People used to call it that that cool jazz. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's also important to point out to everyone that this was a time before. Uh, a lot of computer art but this this was when as you said people companies would hire illustrators to promote their products to create their ads and and all of that that's that's that was a different time it was a beautiful time it was so cool some of the best artists i'd ever seen were actually illustrators i love norman rockwell you know he as a painter he got kind of slighted because he did work that didn't really have a narrative and mean so much, you know, but boy, was it beautifully done. Uh, and that's what I care. I don't care how beautiful it is. You know, I mean, I suppose, you know, I'll end up doing more meaningful work, but I just want to make things as you know, aesthetically gorgeous as possible. You uh -huh. know, and the subject matter is secondary, but I mean, if you can take anything and make it beautiful, I think you've solved some problems there. And then that's what I was good at. You know, they'd come to me with really ugly stuff that <laughs> you would definitely question whether or not you would ever hang that on your wall. It's like I had to do big pumps for Sunstrand and, you know, a lot of, I did a lot of military stuff um, for defense contractors. I didn't tell you yesterday that I actually was the official artist for this project that was for generals, okay? Uh, Bell Helicopter, IBM, and Air Special got together, and we're going to 
create a helicopter that would challenge the Apache back then, right? And uh, so they needed, you know, like 12 panels, a huge job. It took me took me a month and a half to do. But all these panels represented all the things that this helicopter could do, like the low levels that would chop through trees that thick, you know, <laughs> it was silent. I mean, some really cool stuff. It had a Thanistron, like uh, one of the air specials. It was all encased, so when it did go low in the brush, it wouldn't mess with the tail rotor, right? And um, I did all those pieces. I think I may have sent you one, but uh, that was, I had to sign a bunch of stuff to, to make sure non-disclosure, I wouldn't talk about it. And that, well, that was just one. I did a lot of that type of thing. Isn't it fascinating how the illustrator gets the the kind of like back, gets to see a lot of the top secret stuff because yeah. you've got to convey well, how it's going to look. I loved it. It was so fun to just explore that stuff. And I have, you know, probably more of a scientist than an artist back then because me, I really enjoyed seeing all the the inner workings of some of these things that I had to to create. A lot of medical stuff. I did a whole series of textbooks for you know how tornadoes are made, I mean, things like that, which is fascinating as hell to me. Wow. So I, uh, I really enjoyed that period. But I really, I got to a point where I was just like, man, how come nobody hangs this on the wall? <laughs> I, mean, I want a piece to last a little while and sit in a drawer for, you know, the rest of its life. So that's kind of when I went into, decided to start painting in, in 1998. And uh, that changed everything. So, so what, what brought you from just kind of the, the commercial path of doing products for people and things that where they were deciding it and allowed you to, to kind of go a little bit more passion oriented? When did you find motorcycles? You know, I got one. And um, <laughs> that's usually the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of friends that were riding, riding them back then. And I thought, well, this, this is a really just, next step for me and and I didn't I actually didn't even own a car till I was 28 and so I rode a, a bicycle around and uh lived in a hotel but that bicycle I was just used to traffic and, and being out you know pretending everyone was trying to kill me so a motorcycle was easy to negotiate and um so that transition just worked into like I, I love this style the design and the engineering aspects, the geometry of what, how you fit an internal combustion engine into a frame, you know, and do it beautifully. And Harley-Davidson seemed to solve that problem. I mm -hmm. love a lot of ways that that's been done, but I've loved that whole V, you know, it's such yeah. a structure, you know, and you put the V-twin in there and you're off to the races. It's a beautiful thing. That's why I, mean, I, was, I chose to go that way. There's a few of them that we have that, that we can share because I don't want to go too long without people just seeing some of this also. I've got one up and I'm sure this is out of order in terms of, uh, in terms of timeline, but t tell me about the stars, stripes and stories. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a tough piece to see with this uh, little JPEG, but that piece is actually about six feet. It's giant. And um, I had contacted CBS Sunday Morning with Charles Osgood because they, they were known to feature artists. And I thought I had an interesting story um, about the how Harley Davidson, because I focused on history so much, how they became this outlaw biker 
cult. Not it's not a cult. It's it's like this whole subculture, you know. Of, yeah. uh, and this is actually how I how it happened, you know, from my research. What happened was uh, the the pilots and the bombers, the bombardiers, the World War II pilots that came back from the war um, were so incredibly, you know, used to high energy, dangerous situations. You know, when they when they came back to you know Iowa and were sitting around in the cornfield, it's like, how do you replace that adrenaline? So a lot of them took to motorcycles, and they. They couldn't get their AMA cards at the time, and they were a bit like uh, outcasted because of that. So they would kind of turn into these rallies around the country. And one of them was in Hollister, and they they staged their own hill climbs. You know, I mean that's a that's a crazy thing to do is climb up a hill on a bike. And yeah. If you're used to getting shot at by 20 millimeter cannons, it's like no big deal. <laughs> that's easy. So those guys did that, and then of course they'd have some celebration. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so they got staged a couple of times with in hollister for that whole event that happened there and some of the time magazines photographers kind of uh, kind of punched it up a little bit and uh, made it more of an outlaw event than it really was and just put beer cans on this sleeping guy and made him all look like he was real trouble so then hollywood got a hold of it and made the wild one right the yep. Wild One was a really interesting movie. It, you know, it's the classic of all time, but it's actually Hollywood's version of what I did with this painting. This is a, a pilot, a Marine Corps vet, and kind of lone wolf dude watching Hollywood's version of his life. So he's he's in the the drive-in by himself with his Marine Corps tattoo, looking at Lee Marvin. And Lee Marvin was a was a vet, or was a Marine as well. So that went that connection. On, uh, in my painting and then this actually is the beginnings of the whole biker gang and the outlaw biker industry not industry but just group that happened and that whole stigma or genre of of how it, they connected to motorcycles and so i ended up doing this painting and, and we presented that sunday morning with uh Charles Isn't that something? I, I would love to be able, I'm going to have to search the web and see if there's any way of seeing that particular episode, because I I remember watching that this is Sunday morning, Charles Osgood, and that great break, that, yeah, all that break from bad news or whatever else was stressful to this beautiful moment on Sunday morning to appreciate something and to see something peaceful and artwork and fascination. And, and how cool that this, that you were featured on that. Yeah, it was a real honor, and uh, we had a great time. It took about four or five days to to produce, and they came here. We did a lot of the shooting here in my studio downtown, and then also Willie G was on was on that piece. That was it was an amazing uh, couple of days. How yeah. did you become the first licensed Harley Davidson artist? Well, I started uh, my first painting in 1998, and uh, what happened was is uh, I wanted to do to switch from that illustration work that I was showing you, right? And I wanted something that would last a little bit longer. 
And so I've always, when I started studying painting, and that's actually how I arrived at being an oil painter, is I, I really wanted to learn how to do it in reverse engineer masters, okay? And my favorite painters of all time were the guys from about 1850 through 1920, like Singer Sargent and Saroya. And those guys could paint anything. And I loved the way they would put down a stroke and make it so confident and not go mess with it, you know, and blend it a lot so it looked like a photograph. I wanted a painting that looked like a painting that was from the old days. Yeah. And uh, by doing that, there's to, to chase that dragon and that style of painting was, uh, was a big, you know, large fight to, to, to chew, you know, and then so. I started with a really real strong idea and then got humbled fast. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the work started to, to come around pretty well. Uh, and the, la the next couple of paintings and, and they, basically I, I really enjoyed that whole look to keep it timeless. And Harley Davidson was this perfect genre to start doing that with because they had such a rich history. So I, anyway, to get back to the beginning, I, I did this painting called Change in the Weather. And um, it was from a little snapshot that a buddy of mine who's a dealer here, who was a dealer here in Denver. I said, hey man, I wanna do vintage Harley Davidson paintings. And so we came up with this picture, and I, actually a bunch of them, and then I chose that one. Did up a painting, it was like a 30-40, and uh, kept it all really muted and made it look really old and timeless. And they took it to Milwaukee. They uh, they said, wow, this is pretty cool. We love it. And at that point, uh, allowed me to start painting and, you know, gave me the license. Isn't that amazing? You you're, you mentioned about stories and that that's such a big part of your work. I mean, there are wonderful artists and, uh, and have been for a long time that can just paint scenes, especially maybe like World War II scenes or things like that. Your paintings tell very specific stories and have have tons and tons and tons of, of little hidden you know gems or easter eggs in, in them and i want to show one of them now um that's that's just wonderful and this this begins to combine the aviation and the motorcycle world for me um tell me a little bit about bootlegger betty here <laughs> Bootleg Betty, an ugly Eddie. Um, there was, uh, I was looking to do another Woman of Harley piece, and that's a series that I've had since the beginning, 98. And this was the, um, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eleventh. Oh, she's way down there. <laughs> I lose track of my work really fast. But anyway, uh, I wanted to do um, a piece with the you know, with my other love, which is old airplanes. And um, so I started asking friends around. It's like, well, which plane should I should I you know do? And do you know anything special? And then a, a friend of mine, George Clay, was in Florida, and he said, you've got to go look at this airplane because this one has some provenance, an amazing history. Uh, it was actually used as a, a booze runner, you know, running scotch and you know but so many different alcohols and they would load the front of that thing the way this plane is configured the whole front end is all like this open space so they would load this thing down with 
what, I think maybe like 80 cases of booze. And, um, <laughs> so this was the actual plane that was confiscated. This, this pilot, this woman pilot doesn't know when she lands, they're waiting for her. And so they arrested her and uh, confiscated everything. Um, and this is a real uh, story. This yeah. really happened. I think I have the um, the sheet, which uh, somewhere we have it. There, we when you buy this piece, we we have this um, actual copy of the arrest warrant or the seizure the document that the FBI had. Or the, oh, here it is. Customs. That's it. So check this out. That's actually the real document. We put this in the back of that piece. It just tells the whole story. But the, the clincher on this one is it was when she landed, it was at Kennedy's farm in New York. And uh, it was it was quite the bootlegger, you know, Joe Kennedy. So I, I love these stories and fall in love with you know, the whole process. So I'm kind of when I produced this piece, I had my son up in the cockpit handing down this it was Warren Lane catching the, the cargo. My buddy, Ugly Eddie, uh, who's part of my motorcycle group, um, back there with the Tommy gun. And then the bootleg Betty, uh, Betty Ballou, is on the bike. And to produce all this was just really exciting for me. So I had this whole entourage of people come together. It was like doing a movie. And then once I get all the photos right, then I produced the painting. It's a pretty big painting, it's like 36, 48. Wow. And, and, like, and, and so you stage these, you actually have yeah. people model for your paintings and that's what turns, turns into your style. So, I mean, looking behind you right now, I mean, that's, is, is that, that's an example of what you're working on. And I yeah. know everyone wants to know why it's upside down. I paint a lot upside down. Um, the whole day has been upside down. So I look forward to turning it right side up tomorrow and adjusting <laughs> it. But, I, I find that it's easier for me because uh, it kind of taps my brain's desire to keep telling me how to paint it. So I actually only look, when you're trying to discover how light works, it's a lot more informative to turn it upside down and see how light catches in certain areas. So if you put the stroke down, when you put a stroke of paint down, let's say it's in the light, the top part of the brush is going to be brighter than the, the bottom side of the brush. So that stroke will actually look like a cup and catch the light. So if you paint it upside down, you can actually catch those areas of light with this the cup, right? You make it thick and juicy. And the next thing you know, you've got, you've actually seen how light moves through. And it's easier to see it in upside down than it is right side up because your brain's constantly telling you, I know how to do that. I already know what that is. You know, it's like, it's it's a philosophical thing, but it really does work for me, you know. Yeah, and then you back to right side up, and then you refine it and turn it back side upside down again. It's easier to see design that way too. You don't get all mesmerized with the subject, you know. But your brain, your left brain, is telling you, "I know this thing. I know how to do it. Stop it." No, no. I really want to look only at the light. Mm. Understand? It's yeah. That makes mm. a lot of sense. Like it's forcing you not to see it as what it is. It's exactly. see it in a different way so that you can see an abstract and you can focus on the detail or you can focus on these little light as you mentioned. You see the truth of light, okay? And it's a magical thing. If I can get that light, it doesn't matter what the subject is. 
if I can get how the light moves through shadow and then emphasize that, I don't care what the subject is, people will respond because everyone knows innately, subconsciously, that light is a beautiful thing and, and how it illuminates and the shadows and all those things that happen, the magic that happens with light, I focus on that no matter what the subject is. And then it really helps me create a, a feel about the painting. And I did that with that Elvis piece. And we, so many times I've done that. When, when the composition gets too, there's too mm -hmm. much stuff, the motorcycle's too busy, and I, I always push that away and concentrate on how beautifully I can paint that light shape where it hits everything and make that so pronounced and so strong that nobody can look at anything else. <laughs> so you kind of get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I want to bring up another one, which, of course, is, is, is my personal favorite, very powerful for so many reasons. And, of course, it's your Jesse painting. And I'm, one of the reasons I'm looking at that right now with everybody is because of what you just said about light. This seems to be one of your paintings where light and shadow is so dramatic on her clothing, on the background, everything. That's what I love, you know? I mean, I've come to the conclusion there's, there's other approaches to painting. I'm just not as good as, <laughs> at that as some others. And so if it's got a light shape like, like this one or like this one I'm working on, uh, I can really get inspired by that. I, mm -hmm. I love that innate chord of truth that happens on everything that gets illuminated. And if you use the warm light against the cool light of the shadows, it has this, you know, how it is in the afternoons. You get the golden hour and you're like, wow, everything's beautiful. And so I, uh, I kind of veer towards that more than, uh, than midday, let's say. But there's, there's a couple of different approaches to painting. And I, I'm definitely better at light and shadow because I really love it. And that's what this one will be ultimately. Very similar to this. Except with yeah. no hanger, you know, backgrounds, clouds, and more mad, more like heavenly. Uh huh. That's Jesse and and I and people should know, of course, this is Jesse Combs who who passed away, setting the land speed record. Um, yeah, this is the piece. I mean, if you look at it, I don't know if you can see it. Yes. Let me let's change the close this down so we can see that one with the uh, with the Corsair. Yeah. And it's got this beautiful heavenly light. And what I did is wanted to connect this warm light, dance right down through here, and then just paint that as beautifully as I can. And the rest of it I can let kind of go to more of your imagination. And uh, that's that's a really good contrast, and it's a good uh, formula for a painting. Let the shadows go mysterious, illuminated, but but beautiful, uh, and then focus all your thick, juicy, confident strokes towards light hits. Right through here. Mm -hmm. you know, and it works. I'll do Absolutely. that. So you can kind of see what I've got going here, where the light kind of hits her here, and then it, and it's bouncing around. And anyway, you'll see. Oh yeah, it's it's very very striking. That's that that that's. That's amazing. <laughs> I like that you could just spin it around there. Gonna show, yeah, I got uh, a really big one here. I got an 80 incher that I like to switch around. It's not, not necessary for this one. I'm going to show a different one. This one is Ruth. 
and uh, obviously a, a P51, which of course is close to our heart with one being built right behind me here. Um, and so tell me a little bit about Ruth. You know, she was, that series I was mentioning, The Women of Harley, she was the fifth, way back in 2005, I did that. But I wanted to, um, I was, with The Women of Harley, I wanted to always project women with power, you know, that they were confident, and because they had to be to do that job. They were the wasps, you know, mm -hmm. they flew those planes from the manufacturers to the bases, and so I sought out uh, a woman that was capable of flying many different planes, and, and Ruth was, Ruth Helm. And I um, ended up talking to her and, and decided to do a painting about her. She would think she was 87, 88 when I painted her back then. She's she's left us now, but um, what a great story, you know, to paint a wasp at Soldier Avenger Field with, uh, the, um, what's that hangar called? Um, Sweetwater, Texas. Sweetwater, Texas, that's it. Yes. And that's actually a museum now. Um, but to put her back in that situation, you know, with a couple of the, her fellow wasps behind her in front of the hangar they flew from, was like something that I just dreamed up with thought that would be the best painting ever. And um, I really enjoyed doing this and listening to her stories about you know, what it was like to be a wasp. So, so cool. And you're, you, you've got so many different ones. Uh, we'll talk about your book uh, in a little bit. Uh, that, and so many of them feature people, uh, women posing for the, the nose art uh, on the aircraft. Uh, there, there's, it, it seems to vary between the, the power and the beauty uh, and, uh, and the combination of both of them. I like that combination. Ultimately, women seem to be more powerful. Anyway, <laughs> so it's like you know, to put them in that position, it's just natural. They uh, absolutely. There's beautiful creatures. Uh, also, from the uh, kind of barnstormer time. Yeah, Dale Walksler. That was a Daytona piece a few years ago, and you know, in Daytona, a lot of people don't know they used to, they used to before any motorcycle races, they did barnstorming events on that beach and land speed record stuff. Really. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful long stretch of miles and miles where they it was kind of like the salt flats are, you know, where they would just wind up these machines with some pretty famous. Uh, there wasn't no jets then, but it was a uh, it was some really powerful plant speed records, you know, attempted back then, all internal combustion, I think. Anyway, that was Dale Walker from Museum or the Wheels Through Time Museum, and he. Uh, volunteered to pose for me and put that whole piece together that that's so so cool and uh i know there's there's one here i'll show the uh uh another one from your uh let's find the air races here that oh. was also really really amazing this is this seems to be a, a a rare piece for you because it doesn't feature the human form as much well, yeah, I mean, really little version in there. <laughs> this piece was for a friend of mine, and uh, he owns that Corsair. This was this was Cook Cleland's slightly modified 
uh, version of the Corsair with four banks of seven cylinders. So it was a super Corsair. Um, they had been, I'm sure you're, your audience probably knows about this thing because it was just incredible airplane. But it was designed to, to go after kamikazes. It was hugely overpowered, like 4,000 horsepower, be able to shoot straight up, shoot down any kamikaze, zero up there, come back down. But the war ended before this thing actually got into to, to usage, you know, or to, uh, to send statement. And uh, I fell in love with the whole idea of what this plane meant. So I talked to my friend about it, who owns that plane, and said, well, let's put it back in its heyday. Um, and it was uh, restored by a guy named Cook Cleland. And he did five, I think four or five of them back then. And uh, they turn, he turned those those Corsairs into racers. And this this particular race was in Cleveland. This was the last race in Cleveland because they had a, a real uh, mishap there. I mean, someone in a B-51 killed a, uh, a woman and her young child. So that stopped everything in Cleveland. But this particular image is uh, the Bendix second lap. No, it's the final lap of the uh, Bendix Tinnerman Cup. And that's when this particular plane won uh, that race in, in Cleveland. So basically kind of just the glory days for that Corsair. And uh, it's a giant painting. It's six feet and sits next to the Corsair, which is a large airplane. <laughs> sure. yeah, absolutely. And it I really does kind of harken to the heyday. <laughs> yeah. Cool airplane. Powerful. There's a, a another one here I really think is is quite stunning, um, it, it, especially the perspective that you chose to paint. Uh, and this one is Salute. You know, this was inspired when Greg and I had a gig in Austria a couple of years ago. And um, this is what it looked like out my where I was staying outside the, the balcony. It wasn't a balcony, it was just a porch. They were growing tomatoes and it was a really wonderful time that we spent there and uh i remember looking out there going wow this is this view reminds me of this old movie i remember from when i was a kid it's called the sound of music you know and the edelweiss in the field and so i was thinking well there was probably some p51 swooping through here <laughs> once in a while and just this was my tribute to the p51 and you know, the innocence of this young girl in a field being liberated from uh, the tyrannies of war, you know, I wanted that contrast there. And um, and that's exactly what inspired it. It's like being there, wanting to recreate a little bit of historic reference of, of Austria and those P-51s being able to get those bombers deep, deep into Europe, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, it, there's almost a playful nature to it. There's the, it, it has that feeling of, of just after the war. And, and I love the detail, the, the pink bicycle, the, everything that you've done to kind of put a different, a different feel on, on the entire world that you're brought into. Yeah, thank you. It's, it was a really fun piece, very different, you know, and I love kind of mixing it up like that. You know, and aviation allows me to do that. Uh, motorcycle work can get a little constrictive, or we've just done so much of it. It's it's really fun for me to spread my wings. 
Yes. <laughs> Quite literally. To, uh, do, to do motorcycle stuff, I mean, uh, aviation stuff, because I've always loved them. I always loved airplanes. And, so this is an example of that in, in a, obviously a completely different type of scene and a different type of aviation, really. Yeah. A friend of mine inspired this piece. It was a, uh, actually it was a, it was a commission and he wanted me to paint his friend's beaver and put it in, in, uh, where most of those beavers are probably running up in Alaska, bush pilots. And uh, so this particular plane had wheels on it. And so I had to retrofit it with pontoons, take it out of the, I think it was in a driveway. <laughs> so, so you're a mechanic as well at this point, just uh, graphically. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to figure out the lighting and basically put it in this beautiful Alaskan scene. That's how this one happened. I love painting this. It's basically for me getting a chance to paint a landscape in the background there. And then I put a plane in because, you know, that's where they, they do their magic up there. I, last time I was in Alaska, I met several guys flying around up there. They said, man, I'm going to take you to the best salmon <laughs> tasting thing you've ever had. <laughs> Bring it on, man. I love it. <laughs> you, you get to travel a lot as part of, uh, as part of what you do. It seems to be that, that, that you get to, to kind of everyone's setting where, where we all come from with our passions. Yeah. Fortunate. It's been a really fun, fun 20 years or more than that now. Just, we've been all over the place, and uh, I um, I got to the point where you know I get I do watercolors too, and so there's so much time on the plane that I like just I refuse to sit and watch TV. So I would just take my watercolor set on the plane and always get the same seat with 3A, and it would flood my little compartment with, with light. I'm right-handed, so wouldn't cast a shadow. I do watercolors. On every United flight that I get on, and um, you know, I was getting to the point where they'd remember me. It's like, oh, that guy's back again. You know, even I even was gonna like uh, put together this website instead of the painter of light. I was the painter in flight because it's kind of <laughs> like that. I can only imagine though that must be the the only way that all of a sudden all the all the PCs close, all the iPads and phones go down. Because if, if someone were painting one of these works in in the seat across from me, I'd be mesmerized. Like that that'd be my in-flight entertainment. It's happened a few times. You know, people are just can't stop. They don't want to bother you. you know, they're being polite, but they're like, What the hell are you doing? And it's like, well, that's what I do. And I've got four hours here. And it's like, why the hell am I gonna sit here? Well, I can sleep part of the time, I suppose, but I'd rather use it and it's a pretty good situation because the lights usually, if I fly in the day, start in the morning, it's pretty strong light. That's that's all I need. You know, I got a little ashade box and watercolor, and then the waiter, the flight attendants, kind enough to bring me some water and maybe a cocktail. I'm off to the <laughs> <laughs> uh, Your work is also, of course, brought you across some some uh, pretty notable individuals. Uh, there's a couple pictures that uh, that we have here, and and this is one. This one, this 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 sure is notable. Yeah, that was a, quite an episode for me. Um, 
chance encounter. I was uh, I was commissioned by Harley Davidson and the Vatican Postal Service to do a, a special card for the blessing of the bikes, and um, huge honor for me. And then they said, "Well, start." I had only a week and a half to do it. It was crazy timing, and so I just dropped everything, my family, my poor family. And, I just said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going away for a little while. So I had to work with the Vatican to get a few things right on this in order to you know, achieve this harmonious composition that everyone is okay with. Because as you know, I mean, they have special rules, not rules, but they just have guidelines about what they want to like, have put their name on, right? So his scarf was a big deal. Uh, technically, I wanted to make that scarf really stand out, like red or some big giant zooty color, right? And I started with red, and they said, no, 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 you aren't going to do a red scarf. That's that's not uh, the best for us. So I said, well, how about purple? Try the purple one. No, that's not going to work. So I anyway, know I went back and forth like four or five times, ended up with camel. Camel works. So I ended up putting this camel scarf together and brought that down into the composition where I tried to make that kind of dance up a little bit through the bike. Then uh, once I finished, went over to Rome and uh, was uh, presented to the Pope. And I had about three minutes to talk to him. And of course, I was incredibly enchanted by his uh, art collection over there. That's the whole thing about being in Italy to me was was just sheer enjoyment of, of the art. And um, so the Vatican Museum gave me a, a private tour and I got to see some of the, the most incredible artwork that anyone's ever done. So the whole thing was, as an artist, huge, just massive period in my life, like an epiphany of, of sorts, you know. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it and, was. And I got to take I, the whole family, and they all well. After that, we went up to Florence. We went up to Venice. and toured around Siena. And grabbed one of their Vatican drivers. And <laughs> went, had a blast. So it was a, a nearly a month I was gone. But what an experience! So, so kind of on on the same well well you know at the at the upper level of of working with famous people uh, and connections of yours yet uh probably on the on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to conservative uh versus kind of wild you have Steven Tyler yeah there's a interesting mix right <laughs> yeah Steven and I have been friends since i think 09 earlier than that maybe um he became a collector way back then so he's he, he bought a bunch of pieces so it just turns out that i ended up painting a lot of paintings of Stephen and his family this particular piece was when we did together to fund un underprivileged schools and then pay their for their art and music programs so they could keep that, you know, as, as one of the priorities for, for their education and from, from young people, because, I mean, they keep the football and all the other stuff, but I mean, we, we really believe in the 
the creative uh, aspects, of, as, especially when you're young, and we all kids love art. So we want to foster that. And so we bought a lot of pianos and art supplies and, and stuff for schools around the country. So it was really a, a corroboration between he and I to, to try and make some money and fund uh, all these needy schools with art supplies and music programs and things that they need to do what we do. And he was totally down for us. We signed all the all the pieces. Um, I think there were 75 in the edition, something like that. The painting itself is about six foot tall, and that's him in front of the where he always stays, Sunset Marquee in Santa Monica. There, um, this hangs there. If you go in that hotel, it's like where all the rock stars have always been. I mean, if you walk in their lobby, it's just nothing but rock stars have stayed there. <laughs> history and so um, I put him in front of that and he at the time was going through this uh, this struggle with um, people spying on him in Maui and in, in Hawaii they would get out in the bush and long lenses and, and just completely mess with his privacy and especially with his daughter so he, he went to try and change legislation in Hawaii that they could not come the property, the paparazzi and stuff. So this was all about him in the press at that time, flying out of the marquee with that wheelie and and um, you know knocking over all these paparazzis. Wow, it is. It's. I mean, I love it. It's just such a cool, you know, piece. There's there, again, everything's got a story in, in all of the the work that you do, and I I find it really fascinating. I. I want to to show everyone uh, your book because I think for a lot of people, um, they even as much as people may want to, they they may never be able to own one of your works. But you have a limited edition uh, book that's out right now. I'm going to show this. Yeah, remember right here, the Two Art of the Ride, um, and uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Greg Rhodes, uh, who works with you, of course made this possible uh in in so many ways and this this book i i found it amazing it, it because it has the stories behind everything it's not yeah. just the actual uh the actual artwork it's your story uh it's the story of different uh, paintings that are uh, that are in here there's a lot of uh kind of you know historical things i'm doing a very poor job of holding this up now but um for someone who wants to see a collection of of all of these these works, I think it's it's really interesting and uh, uh, and, and important for people to be able to go out. And it's Yule Studios, is that correct? Yeah, it's YuleStudios.com. U H L. U H L. And uh, yeah, that's been a couple of years in the making. We when we decided to do it, of course, you know, COVID. <laughs> impeded a few things especially you know shipping and producing it but it's been a long time and then assembling everything in there to uh, to put all together and get the writers it was just a big job but i'm glad it's done and it turned out great i i really didn't pull any cost cuts on anything i, I went for the best printing the best everything so hopefully people liked it it's I, I can tell you it's it's stellar and I, and I love that there are also photographs that show 
the scene that was shot and then how that was turned into the final painting. And it's very, very interesting to see that. To me, one of the things that that points out when you see the scene and then you see the final product in the painting is goes back to what you just said of the magic of that light because there's no comparison that seems like almost a raw framework for the work that you've done on one hand of one page and then you turn to the other page and it's filled with magic Mm -hmm. i started with black and white photographs you know that's really what i love and in the very beginning in that book it'll show I had access to Harley's archives and they were extensive. I mean, from 1903, and they had a magazine called The Enthusiast back then, thousands and thousands of super cool shots. Um, so I would have to take these old black and whites and figure out the color temperatures. I can see how the light's working, but I don't know any colors, right? Mm-hmm. So it really helped me, kind of put me on the fast track to figure out how to paint, especially something I can see the how the light works or how the colors actually work. But cutting my teeth on black and white photographs really made me really appreciate things and imagine and trying to construct in my head how all that light works throughout the whole piece. You know, given a local color, let's say a, you know, she's wearing a blue dress and then there's a, you know, a red tracker or something. If you, if you know the color of some of the objects, then you try to invent this light hitting it and bouncing all around. And, and actually you can do that because I just add those colors to the paint. And anyway, it's a bit of a, a scientific study, but it seems to work. And those black and white photographs really did help me learn how to paint. I have one right here that I can show you. Oh, I'd love to see that. I fell in love with this story and you'll see this finished in Oshkosh, but it's a, it's the gamma the gamma um can you see that oh wow jackie cochran that's amazing this this is the beginnings of how i start so i start really loose like this and kind of keep the movement going and i did this in at sun and fun pretty much in front of everyone yeah i i I, that that we talked to some of that's that was amazing watching you do that and i remember at that time i didn't get my question answered why was it all upside down so now i know yeah there it is that's how you remember (laughs) (laughs) so um but see i'm trying to keep all these shapes all connected you know and then i have a really solid structure but when i go back at this again i'll really um, have some fun with it because i've got a really good start uh-huh. structurally and it's very antique looking um, it is what i always want i want it to not be like a rendering like a photograph i want i want the air to be flying around you know there's there's lightning bugs and all kinds of shit flying. i mean i just like that I, the brush work that happens when, when you keep it loose so this will be uh this will be a on display in oshkosh when i finish it up i just have to finish jesse first but of i course. love the story this was Howard Hughes and Jackie Cochran kind of do a little bit of a tizzy, I guess, one night about who's going to own this airplane and Howard Hughes ended up winning. But um, <laughs> what a cool airplane that is. I was blown away. Uh, I had never seen anything like that. The, the Where the cockpit is in that fuselage, 
I don't know if you're familiar with it. I mean, look that one up. That gamma. Um, I will. That is that that that's amazing. Yeah, really cool, cool story. And, and I think he won the speed record with it. He put a nose cone on that, on the front of that thing, and then changed the whole look of it. But yeah, really, it looks like something out of a, a movie. You know that airplane. Absolutely, no question. Well, so you will be at Oshkosh uh, the, the end of July. We'll get to uh, see you and your new works there. Yes, I'll be there and with that piece and maybe something else. You know, if I have time, this will all be finished. This will change quite a bit, but yeah, I might do another watercolor. I like doing the watercolors. Uh, I do a series that's on float planes because I love doing the backgrounds. Uh, they seem to get it themselves into these incredibly gorgeous places <laughs> yes that's kind of the point of them right <laughs> no it's just tarmac and then air you know some airport in the background so or a base that's why that's I absolutely wonderful well i can't wait to see you out there and uh thank you so much for taking us inside your studio and for letting us understand uh so much about kind of how you arrived at this point but also those I, concepts of, of how you paint and why you do the things that you do. And I would just encourage everyone out there, go to U, Yule Studios, UHL, yulestudios.com, and uh, take a look at the work. If you have a chance to see David at the show, Greg Rhodes will be there with them uh, as well. And uh, and again, the, uh, the book that uh, I, I can't say enough about here, make sure you check it out. David Yule, The Art of the Ride, which again is filled with plenty of aircraft as well. Uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a perfect blend. And so David, thank you so much for taking time thank to join us know. here on Social Flight Live. It's, it's fun to talk about for me, so I appreciate it. Thank Absolutely, you. and uh, I, I hope you'll come back. We have some great other topics to talk about with so much experience, your mechanical background, the the history through your family tree, and and uh, and, and I think you have a lot to offer uh, general aviation, and, and we just need more inspirational people like you. Well, thank you. I, um, it's kind of an open field for me, and I can't wait to just explore a little bit more of it. I mean, motorcycles has kept me busy, obviously, for a while, but I, mean, I couldn't help but get that aviation in there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, David, thank you very much. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. And to all of you, thank you so much for joining us here on Social Flight Live, for taking another evening out to spend time with us and get some inspiration through so many wonderful people that we have here on the show. We will be back next Tuesday, May 31st, with NASA astronaut and award-winning photographer Jay App. He has so many stories, you do not want to miss that episode. On Tuesday, June 7th at 8 p.m., we have the AVSIG reunion. The original Aviation Bulletin Board, Mike Bush, George Brawley, and Barry Schiff will all be getting together to talk about the early days of chatting online, sharing information, and how so many people that were there in those early days ended up becoming the icons we think of that help support our industry to this day. And then on Tuesday, June 14th, Nilofar Rahmani, who is the first female Air Force aviator in Afghanistan's history, will tell her story. And uh, it is something, again, you do not want to miss.
So again, thank you so much for joining us here on Social Flight Live, for checking out socialflight.com and being part of our family. And I wish all of you blue skies. Thank you.